You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. this episode we'll be talking about todd rundgren something anything in the room i have ben hello and john hey something anything is the third album by the american musician todd rundgren released in february 1972 the producer is todd rundgren and the genre is rock pop r&b and psychedelic uh, and from all music review stephen thomas Irwine. after two albums todd rundgren had one hit in a burgeoning cult following, plus growing respect as a hit-making record producer. There's no question that he was busy, but as it turns out, all this work only scratched the surface of his ambition. He had decided to abandon the rut pretense and record a full double album by himself. Others had recorded one-man albums before, most notably Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney, but Rundgren captured the homemade ambience of McCartney with a visionary feel of music of my mind, adding an encyclopedic knowledge of pop music from Gilbert and Sullivan through Jimi Hendrix, plus the crazy zeal of a pioneer. Listening to something anything is a mind-altering trip in itself, no matter how many instantly memorable Shamelessly accessible pop songs are scattered throughout the album. Each side of the double album is a concept unto itself. The first side is a quote, a bouquet of ear-catching melodies. Side two is the cerebral side. On side three, the kid gets heavy. And side four is his mock pop operette, uh, recorded with a full band, including the Sales Brothers. Something Anything has a ton of loose ends. Throughout, plenty of studio tricks, slight songs, but no filler, snippets of dialogue, and purposefully botched beginnings, but all these throwaways simply add context. They're what make the album into a kaleidoscopic odyssey through the mind of an insanely gifted pop musician. All right, when do we think of Something Anything by Todd Rundgren? Oh, Todd. Man, I don't want you to... I'm, I'm, I, I would, before hearing this album, I would be like, oh, Rundgren. Yeah. What do you think? It fucking grew on me. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to give Rundgren any shit anymore. You know? I don't know what I'm going to do with Todd oh. Rundgren. It's complicated. It is com- it's a complicated it's relationship a complicated with relationship. me. I just, it, every minute that I think he's finally got me, he loses me. And then every minute I think like, well, he's lost me. He just gets me again. Ugh. It's a lot of what some people have called, quote unquote, dad music. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I would actually call right now we're listening to uh, It Wouldn't Have Made a Difference. And I call this, uh, quote, sappy mom music. Okay. I wrote that this was Charmin soft shit. But then I wrote, fuck, it kind of grows. Yeah. It's so hard. So I, yeah, there are things this album 
Todd Rundgren, his main goal is not to make Ben Bustle a fan of Todd Rundgren. But if he, if that was his goal, I, I've got some notes. Like, I think there's so much to work with here. I've just got, I've got notes for Todd. Uh, like, first off, there's just too much with the studio goofs. It, studio yeah. talk. Like, from, like, oh, side two, track one, intro. Mm. Fuck that, dude. Like, Key, like, leave that on the editing floor, especially with like the 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 like the the cockiness in his voice. Like he's saying, like, "Hey, you should listen for all of these like studio fuck ups," but then like the subtext is like, "There won't be. I produced this. And I'm really good. <laughs> I'm really fucking good. He is it's really just, fucking good, though. Yes, but <laughs> this his his. I don't know much about Todd Rundgren. I've never listened to a Todd Rundgren album before this. And I think Todd Rundgren, Todd Rundgren is a fucking pompous fuck. He comes off as a wonderkin dick weasel, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But he is and, a wonderkin. But every, <laughs> every time he talks, I think that I think that he should leave the studio banter out in general. But also, I think it should just be left out because it's it, it takes me out of it. But not only that, it's the stuff he says and the way he says it in his studio banter that makes me just not like him. I see what you're saying. I do He's think like, that it, I just decided we're gonna change the name to throw money at me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I could see being a bit. Uh, yeah, like it. Like the jokes don't come off as as being ch- like. Some, so, like, they're not endearing. Not endearing, yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. when I think about he's the only one in that studio. <laughs> but I think that might be like this is a picture of madness. Like he's been in here grinding so hard. Like maybe he's like, I'm I just was, gonna, I'm just gonna goof a little. I was thinking yeah, a gonna bit, some steams. It's, it's a bit like a Br- uh, Brian Wilson sort of situation. Uh, and I'm not saying not comparing them uh, in terms of like styles and talent and things like that. It's just like I have a crazy concept and I'm going to work. And work and work until like my all these concepts come together and I'm playing all the instruments. I have it all in my head of what I want to do. No, I absolutely get that. And I, I wrote I d- wrote down Brian Wilson's name a few times yeah. in, in my notes. Well, and but was, Brian Wilson never came off as a prick because he's just he crazy. Does, he's just crazy. Yeah. And you know if if he said some prickish things on a hot mic in the studio right before a song, he cut he, him out. He cut him out. Yeah. But I think that the reason I wanted to uh, read the the review there is because I think there is an element to those, uh, what would you say, bedroom recordings yeah. of that sort of off-the-cuff, four-track recorded things that people feel a bit more intimate within these songs. They're catchy songs, and they're, you know, he's not the greatest. I, I did write it. Wanted to point out, he's not the greatest uh, drummer. I mean, oh, he's not. In fact, yeah. uh, I, uh, I wrote Th- down a specific a, time where he fucks up. There's a couple. There's a couple tracks where he's just like, oof, a little, uh, little uh, rough around the edges on that one. I'll tell you what, though, I liked his drums better than McCartney's. Okay, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So, so yeah. let's compare those two because this album is very similar to that, with the exception of side four. This is all Rundgren. Rundgren plays every single instrument. Rundgren does all the vocals, layers his vocals, does his harmonies. Uh, and McCartney did the same thing on McCartney, and Rundgren crushes it for the most part. Yeah, I mean, yeah, considering yeah. what he's working with. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. So like, he's recording the drums first because that's what you do. So apparently, he's humming the song along to himself before recording any like uh, like scratch tracks or anything. He's playing the drums and he's got the song playing in his brain how he thinks it's gonna sound. 
And then he said, when you go to lay down like the keys or the guitar, like if if he messed up when laying down the drum track, if he like didn't get enough, give it enough measures or enough repetitions before moving to the next part, he would just change what he did with the song because it's easier than going back and yeah. redoing the whole. He's like, I guess oh, this stanza only has three bars. I think that's pretty. <laughs> I think that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Though, to to sort of like work within the studio. I think this is the reason this album is in here. Mainly, not only is it you know. It's just one of those albums that you're like, wait, what? It, it came together and it sort of spun off into all these different. If if you have an if you have great ideas, you're a great musician. You can produce and create something by yourself. You no longer even need a producer. You no longer need studio time. You no longer you know you don't need all these things. Home recording is now an option for you and you can just kind of do your own thing yeah so did yeah it, did anyone I, else I, ever use here we th- go again number four is like losing me <laughs> yeah one was great two lost me three came back a bit and now four is a little nah. uh. anyone else used to think that uh track one i saw the light was a carol king song i used to think yeah i used to think that it was a, a woman singing it I, I literally thought it was Carol King. Yeah, and I think that was part of this is that he's was com- he was being compared to Carol King, and he's like, no, 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 I'm gonna. Hey, if I was gonna sound like Carol King, I would sound like this, and then he just plays that song. Then, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But after that, I'm gonna do my own thing. <laughs> there's, there's so much shit going on. This is a dense, dense record. It's so many tracks, too. It's so many tracks. It's so long. Uh, let's see. So. Uh, after the the ill-advised speaking intro of side two, they go into a, a, or he goes into instrumental song "Breathless," uh, which I first wrote down. Oh, you found those buttons on your keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was fun. I, it, 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 upon repeat listens, uh, he's got that's absolutely a drum machine. Yeah, yeah, he's doing like almost electronica. And then, well, then uh, he's got the vocoder going later on. The song's called "Breathless," and it's so like like. Robot voice like going through like the organ later. Oh, on Oh, it's the a song. total yeah, total experimentation. Well, in the though, middle yeah. is him playing La Bamba. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I that's he lost me. Yeah, lost me. I, yeah, I was like, yeah, hey, yeah. this is. At first, I was like, this song's goofy. Okay, yes, those are buttons on your keyboard. And then, like a minute or two, and I was like, okay. And then he goes into La Bamba, and I'm like, fucking Todd, <laughs> <laughs> like just stop while you're ahead, Todd. Right. These are goofs for you, not goofs for me. He's just so goofy. Are, are you yeah. sure they're not? I mean, but do they add to it? That's what I'm trying to get Does at. Does covering La Bamba in the middle of your song <laughs> add to it? I'm just saying. Does it here, elevate no, the source, source material? <laughs> <laughs> saying is his goofs does it does it present sort of like the listener with a because at first i was like why even do what is it um on like is like side three or what the overture my roots that's four yeah 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 like i did not like it it was terrible i mean it's it's not good at no all. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't add anything for me like except it might add the sort of like charming this is lo-fi, 
me messing around in the studio quality that sort of we got with um, uh, All Things Must Pass, that like fourth record or this sort of like, this is just like, uh, you know. But that was I'm, a I'm disc like of jams. Through. Yeah, And yeah. these are theoretically through composed. And yeah, that like overture where, uh, where it's just two snippets of him and old bands playing live. Right. Like, dude, save your home movies for your mom, dude. Like, I, yeah. are you telling me that I'm now 75 minutes invested in this record because you wanted to play me some old movies. Yeah. Uh, hey, I, hey, I, check out check out this band I used to be in though. Yeah, for me it doesn't do anything, but I'm just wondering if that is, if it, it, it to see the the lo-fi like yeah. oh check out like how well I've produced this album. Yeah, or just sort of like show that show that like humanistic quality of not being like a perfect recorded you know, studio element. I would rather just have it be like, cut all that stuff out. Give me the, the, what you think is the best and just, just leave that alone for the most part. But absolutely. I I, I think, I think that I think by taking out the studio goofs and the first track of, of the cerebral side and the first, the overture, the first track of the fourth side, you're already on your way to making this a single disc record. You only need to take out like a few more things. But I will say, I, I gave it some thought. And if this is a four disc record, which it is, because uh, they're not, he's not going to go back and re-edit it. Four side. Oh yeah, yeah. four side. Yeah. He's not going to go back and re-edit it to a single disc on, on my recommendation. Right. I actually appreciate the way it's set up where you, you touched on it in your intro. Mm-hmm. Each one of the sides is its own thing. Like songs are more or less grouped together. And that made me think, like, I wonder if this album is intended to be listened to all in one sitting, or should it be, like, you know, like, if you buy, like, a, like a, a classical album, you know, it would have, like, a movement on one side and a movement on another side. You're not necessarily supposed to sit there and listen to them back to back. It's like, maybe, like, Maybe the mood calls for the cerebral side, or maybe really in the mood to listen to the kid gets heavy because it's the best side of all four. I agree, uh, and I do appreciate that. It's it's way too long of an album, but he kind of did break it down into twenty minute chunks. Yeah, if that's how you want to approach it, and I think that's an interesting way to look at the format of an album. Yeah, to give the listener a chance to say, okay, here's. Four different ways I can do this. Right. If so, what it, mood it, are it, you in? It's not. It's not like, hey, here is a seventy-five minute marathon. It's like, hey, here's four twenty-minute long mm-hmm. movements. And there are no songs that are over like six minutes for the no, most part. I don't think. No, like, not it's really. pretty No. You know, pop I, cuts. Yeah, I think you're you're on to something there. And I'd written down, you know, obviously this is kind of like everything in the kitchen sink type of album. Mm-hmm. Whereas before with a lot of these different album, double albums like Tommy, that's like a whole symphonic, you know, front to back. You listen to the entire thing. One fully conceptualized. Whereas certain live albums are like double albums just for length. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you just need the length to actually get the uh, sort of like uh, those Miles Davis or the 
uh, live in yeah live in Japan. It's like you need that for the length, I think. And then I think this album sort of provides a different aspect of that of saying, I have all these. It's like take your pick. I have all these different ideas presented on different sides to as concept of like here's here's my section of this here's my section of this and here, mm-hmm. you know those those different uh, elements there i think that naming the sides is pretentious and i think that his names for the sides are stupid so it's stupid and pretentious okay. is my opinion of that yeah. okay he he says something in one of his songs uh on the beginning to piss aaron he says if it's stupid enough, it's cool. No, no, it's just stupid. That, and that was that was one of his studio goofs, right? Yeah. Well, I yeah, mean, like that's it's what before he, the to- before the song starts. It's before it's the song starts. Out. Yeah, yeah. It's his honest thoughts. Right. And he's just wrong. He's wrong. Yeah. No, I'm sorry, Todd. That part you're wrong about. Rob brought up a funny. And Rob's not with us today, but we were chatting about this on our on our message board earlier. <laughs> Todd Rundgren seems like the kind of person that would talk about himself in third person, and I absolutely agree. <laughs> He he already calls himself the kid. Yeah, yeah. A bouquet of ear catching melodies. The cerebral side. The kid gets heavy, and baby needs a new pair of snakeskin boots. In parentheses, a pop operetta. Titles in general for your sides are pretentious, and these titles are dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Um, I did want to bring up that uh, he was very against using drugs in his uh, former band. Nas? Uh, Nas. Mm-hmm. They didn't use drugs in Nas? Nas no. psychedelic rock. Right. Yeah, and he was very... The other members um, didn't, you know, didn't really subscribe to his, like, thought of it. But I kind of... I like to see certain elements like CCR, where it's just like, we're just a hard-rocking uh, band. We're not going to do this stuff. We're going to do... You know, like, we're going to have this huge work ethic until we make it. Like, I think he had that mindset... However, once this album rolled around, he said that he began using uh, a lot of Ritalin. Ritalin and weed. Mm-hmm. And weed. A nice mix. <laughs> and so he was focused like that uh, for all of it. And he said a lot of it, they were all basically started out with a C major seventh and then just started moving my hands around to predictable patterns until a song came out. <laughs> That's one way to do it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, he wrote, like, what, I saw the light in 20 minutes or something. Yeah. And I would definitely say that Wolfman Jack is Riddlin' Rock. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't know Riddlin' Rock was a thing until I heard it. So, I think, it, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's a thing. <laughs> Can we talk about side three? Oh, dude. The, uh, kid sure. get, the kid gets heavy. Yeah, let's talk about side three. As conflicted as I am about this album, I would, I would buy it for side three. Disclaimer, I've already bought this album once. It was recommended to me. I found it for cheap at a record store. I did the thing where I was just kind of dropping the needle on each track, and I gave it like a quick spin through. I did like 30 seconds of each track, and I was like, nah. And I put it away, and I never listened to it again, and then I sold it. Yeah. But. Here he comes. Now that, I, now that I've sat, sat and actually done the time, and it's hard time. I did. I did my stint with Rundgren. <laughs> what? And now, like you know, it, it absolutely has its merits, and I would buy it again to get to side three. That there is some good rock and roll on side three, as as uh, in addition to like like basically a, like a cookie cutter template for how to do power pop. What's like, your favorite track on three? Uh, uh, probably. Couldn't I just tell you? Yeah. The song, couldn't I just tell you? Yeah. 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 I, I put, yeah, I put I, stars. That's a banger. Man, yeah. 
I like Little Red Lights. I also like <laughs> Little Red Lights. Dude, so I was listening to Little Red Lights last night. And I was sitting there listening, not fully clear-headed. And part of Little Red Lights, I was like, is Todd Rundgren American glam? And it, and so then and then I and then I googled up a picture of Todd Rundgren of the era, and I oh, see whoa. him in his stage outfit for like early seventies, and he's he's very much he's Bowie Brianinoed up. Yeah, it's like you know? overalls and a pair of wings. And so then, <laughs> so then like that song ended, and like the next song played, and and then I decided, well, if he's American glam, he's yacht glam. If yacht oh. glam is a thing. Then Todd Rundgren, it's glam for your boat. Yeah. But that's the thing about Rundgren is he can do so many different styles. Like Little Red Lights, it's got glam, but it's also got like almost stoner metal. Oh, yeah. It's a heavy rocker, plenty of feedback and tone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It almost, what, what, what took me to the glam part was there's parts of Little Red Lights that I think it's when like the falsetto choruses kicks in that really reminds me of the suite. Yeah. And I was like, oh, the suite. Oh, shit, it's. Todd Rundgren, <laughs> Yankee Glam. <laughs> yeah, what would you you'd say? Side, I'd say side three is probably the. I mean, it's the rock and roll side. Yeah, uh, I was gonna ask you guys, what do you think? What do you think the percentage on this album is for songs that are like, yeah, oh, like like keepers or yeah, yeah. Hmm. Let me see. Let me yeah, do, do a quick some math. Quick math. Like bangers or songs that I wouldn't throw off an album. Uh, I mean. I mean, just that you, you were you were into. All right. Sure. How many are there in total? 21. I've got 10 of 21. I've got, yeah, like 9 or 10. It, it, seriously, this is like a, it's a really good single album. <laughs> yeah, I have I have about 9. Yeah. So I'm. You yeah, guys don't like the Viking song? <laughs> I don't hate the Viking song. <laughs> That's it's my so, It's so goofy, it's though. It's so fucking goofy. It's so, like. If you want me to rock with you, you don't need goof to, with you me. need to throw me a bone and not goof me so hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, but if you're gonna rock, like, what's a good soft goof? Like, a, like a Lou Reed goof? A, oh yeah, Lou okay. Reed goof. You'll take a Lou Reed goof. Okay. There's plenty of good soft goofs. Yeah. I mean, even Todd Rundgren occasionally like, goes full goof. Oh, like most of the time he goes full goof. Kooks by like David Bowie oh. is like goofy, but yeah, well, I'm okay. still like, eh. okay. Kinks get goofy. Oh, absolutely. I like they don't go full goof though. Yeah. There's still like some dry think, social commentary in there. Do you goofs. think because there's someone else there to be like a producer and be like, eh, and Todd Rundgren's just by himself? Well, in the Kinks case, it's your brother telling you it's shite. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is important. Like, we've talked about this uh, occasionally that editing is important. Well, just having someone else. Well, yeah, I mean, and editing has to come from someone else because most people won't self-edit. That's that's just a natural. We continue to listen to this, and every song is like, "This is pretty cool." Oh, I don't know about this. Seriously, one. it's just it. It's a struggle to decide 
where you sit with an album that you think I feel like half the songs are great, kind of, and half of them are not good at all. Do you want to know who Todd Rundgren looked to as a big source of inspiration? It was Laura Nero. Yep. Yep, I saw that (laughs) too. Good old Laura Nero. Uh, And so for as much as... I get it. Yep. I get it too. (laughs) So I, I find that so surprising that people continue to find inspiration from her. Some of some of her best stuff I understand. Like the best elements of her are really nuanced and provide for a lot of fertile ground to make something good. But there's also the worst parts of Wait, her. Wait, you heard some nuance in Laura Nero? Sure, there's like, I mean, yeah. without her, you wouldn't have Tori Amos. I, I, without her, you wouldn't have like Fiona Apple or, you know. I get where she's coming from. I just think that she does a terrible job of what she is she was an inspiration like i think todd is Mm -hmm. but they don't do it very well Mm -hmm. like it's it's like the it's hard to be the inventor yeah you know but once you invent it and someone really takes it and makes it their own and and you see where it's going you're like right that's it like obviously that and that's how i feel about laura nero i feel like she was an innovator, but I think she's like I think that album is terrible. Yeah, and it's not because I don't think she had the ability. I just think it wasn't like it wasn't well, polished up, well polished yeah. and thought and through. And the lyrics were really bad. And I mean, know, these are know. these are polished songs. Yeah, but they're disjointed sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Because like you said, you'll go from something where you're like, oh, you've got a really good concept here. You really you know fleshed it out, put it together, sounds awesome. And then the next song is like, okay, kind of easy listening y. Like, yeah. what's going on? And then full on? goof. And then, and then straight into a hard goof. <laughs> so I see that within this sort of context. And I think that's probably, again, why, that, why that's in the book. It's, yeah. it's like you are an innovator in this respect. And we're going to get so many other albums that relate to this album. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't really like this so much. Man, though, speaking of, like, artists that have influenced Todd Rundgren and him himself being an influencer on on future artists, there's a band I've been listening to, a current band for the past couple years, called the Lemon Twigs, and I had read in write-ups on them that uh, uh, under their list of influences, it's got, like, you know, Bowie and Queen and also has Todd Rundgren, and I... Like I, I, I knew a few. To- I knew Todd running on radio hits. I was like, oh, all right, whatever. But uh, then I listened to this, and now I, 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 his fingerprints are all over that band, <laughs> and because especially like sometimes like like this this Lemon Twigs band, they'll like really have me for a few songs, and then just go kind of hard goof, <laughs> and I'll be like, what's going on? But. It's not only that, but the hard goofs that they pull are straight out of Rundgren's goof book. Ah. Like, like things that he'll do with his voice to make it goofy. Like, musical things. Like, it, it, it's, it's like a cheat sheet of how to goof. And they went for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. These young brothers. Especially uh, the last track on here, Slut. Which, can we talk about those lyrics in a minute? There's a Lemon Twigs song called Foolin' Around that I really like. It's one of their bangers. And it's weird, and he does this thing uh, where he like goes up and his voice cracks, and it sounds kind of like, oh man, it sounds like you kind of tried to make it crack there, but whatever, the song's a banger. 
And then I'm listening to uh, the song Slut, and now it's like the same tempo, really similar chord progression, and he does the exact same thing where his voice cracks in the same way where it sounds like he's trying to make it crack goofy. And I, I see you, Lemon Twigs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see you. They just figure you're not going to go that deep on Rundgren. <laughs> I think that they're just, I, no, honestly, like, like the, seriously, those kids are young. They're, they're brothers, and they're like... At the time, they're like 19 and 20, and I think they're like, yeah, we love Todd Rundgren. We don't care who knows it. Yep. I do have some, like, weird facts about Rundgren. I don't know if you want to hear any, but... Sure. Uh, in the mid-90s, uh, Todd harnessed the rise of the internet and launched... He was very very into, like, tech stuff, um, very tech-minded. He launched uh, Patreonet, uh, severing ties with record labels and distributing his music direct, directly to fans as patrons via the subscription model. At the time, this was a visionary move, uh, predating iTunes, Napster. Title. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Title, all that, all yeah, that now stuff. He's, he's been on the forefront of a pretty, lot of stuff. Pretty incredible. Um, he composed scores for several uh, comedy films and shows. You might know Pee Wee's Playhouse. <gasps> What? And the 1994 Jim Carrey film Dumb and Dumber. He did man. the score. <laughs> yes, that's, that's a good. You got to get. I would call the goofiest guy I knew <laughs> to, to do a score for that movie. I want it goofy and I want it clean. I got the guy. <laughs> I uh, want it lush <laughs> with plenty of goofs. <laughs> uh, and the last one, Todd was dating a. Uh, Bebe Buell. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, That's Liv Tyler's mom. And yep. she had an affair with Steven Tyler of Aerosmith and got pregnant by Tyler. Buell told Rundgren that he wasn't the father, but Todd still raised the child. Todd, Todd Rundgren raised, raised Liv Tyler? Yeah, and yep. they still have like a close relationship. Todd's a good dude. And he supported her even after the split. You Liv got, didn't I mean, find out that Tyler was a real dad until she was 11 years old. She developed a relationship with Tyler and appeared in three Aerosmith videos, but considers Rudgren her spiritual father. Did you know that Kate Hudson's character in Almost Famous is based on Baby Buell? I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, say what you will about Todd Rundgren. Like, he's probably a little pompous. He's a young dude at this time. I think he's like 24 or something. Yeah. I don't know. He's- yeah, this is... I think this album, too, really showed... He was like, I'm... I'm, uh, you know... Orson Welles. I'm the, I'm the, I'm going to, like, no, seriously, that's the I'm going to show you all what I can do. Yeah. You're all going to respect me because I'm going to do this entire album by myself, double album. Here we go. Will there be goofs? There will be plenty of goofs. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. <laughs> do you see how much Ritalin and, and weed I'm doing right now? There's going to be so many goofs. Uh, Is there going to be a song about Vikings? You know it. <laughs> uh, how do we feel? How do you feel about this album? Man. It's complicated. I don't like enough of it to give it a full positive, but I respect it enough to not go negative. And so it sounds like a neutral. I'm going to go ahead and give it like a neutral plus. And I, I'm going to revisit this. I think that this album's so dense. I, I think that it's one of those ones that it just needs some time to, to air out, you know? So who knows? In a few months, I might be like, "Oh yeah, dude, Todd Rungan, fuck yeah!" But as, as for as for right now, man, I, I seriously, I, I see and I hear the the talent in this guy. I just don't like over half of this album. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I think we all agree that there's 
more than half of it that it's not necessarily don't like, but isn't necessarily good. Like you wouldn't pick out those tracks to listen to. Maybe Ben is a little bit harsher on it. Maybe he thinks, no, not good. <laughs> so, but I, I'm, I'm going to give it a positive. Um, you know, there's just so much when you, when you hear McCarthy and then you hear this and you say, okay, this is one guy for three quarters of this album doing all this himself and really putting out like a, a pretty fucking amazing product. Uh, you just have to respect that. And, and a lot of the songs are, are really fun and, and very interesting. Like, you know, he later went on to do, I think an album with, uh, nine inch nails, like, or with, uh, uh, the lead singer of nine inch nails. And so, Reznor. yeah, with Trent Reznor, like there's things that you can hear like, Oh, okay. Rundgren's got, got some depth. Like, uh, I went to the mirror is a kind of, uh, dumb stoner song, but it's got some interesting elements to it. And then like, Little Red Lights has got some serious fuzzed out almost metal elements. And uh, this album is the favorite album of Axl Rose. I read that. <laughs> Notorious dickhead. Uh, well, at least <laughs> so, in 89. Yeah, was. in 89 he said that. And he, I don't know if he's gotten a new album since then. He probably hasn't. He's probably stuck to his guns. It's been 30 years. Yeah, well, you know, he's a traditionalist. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> he hasn't got a new hairstyle. <laughs> well, I guess he's got those No, he's got those cornrows. Yeah, that's a bad idea. See what happens, Axl? Stick to your guns. With the, with the horseshoe mustache. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But, you know, uh, not to say that I would uh, line up with Axl Rose, but, you know, there's got to be something good there. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with Ben on this. It's like, I can't... He, he could have had me. Uh, he could have had a total positive f- from me, but I feel like there's just enough here that is just, like, weighing it down as an album. And the crazy thing about it is he wrote all the, the songs that I would have, you know if he would have kind of consolidated and just kind of, he could have still had some goofs in there. It wouldn't have like affected the entire thing, but it's just that he, I don't know it, those song, those sort of like songs that are just kind of like that soft rock sort of, as you kind of said, like yacht rock. I just don't like that. Yeah. And so when he does that so much within the album, and then you have so many songs to pick through it's hard to say complete thumbs up from me, which means that, yeah, I'll just go neutral on it. I will probably listen to it again, and I will just kind of skip through. Yeah. Um, I might even just make my own sort of like make mix, your master mix and, yeah. and you see how side. that you would You can just do. put on side three. Yeah, it's true. But I do like I, I Saw the Light. You know, yeah. like there's there's some other songs on Hello, it's me. different. Uh, Dust in the Wind's actually not bad either. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely not Kansas. Yeah, it's not that one. It's a but. whole different song. <laughs> it's true. But no need for piss Aaron. <laughs> no need for recording your, or playing a band that you were in. Oh, yeah. And, with like a super lo-fi and then just being like blues rock. What's so the, the piss Aaron, is that note. the one that has the chorus up, up, chuck, a pukin? Yep. Okay. Yep, that's the one. Uh, all right. Next time we'll be talking about nitty gritty dirt band. Will the circle be unbroken? All right. Thanks, y'all. Class of 32 His mama called him Angel But everybody
sad.